evening. Ephesians chapter 4, if you turn in your Bibles there tonight, we're going to finish up the chapter, verse 17, all the way down to the end before we take the Lord's Supper together and use that as our backdrop before we culminate this service with these elements. There's a good old saying that says, it's not how high you jump, but it's how straight you walk when you hit the ground. That's what counts. We saw that in the Olympics. It's not just about the form in the air, but so much determines on how that jumper lands and the points are given or taken away based on that. Well, in the Christian walk, it's not how excited you get, how high you jump, how emotional you can become, how high you jump. But after the service, after the that episode of excitement, how do you walk? How straight do you walk once you hit the ground? And that's been the theme of this section of Ephesians, is not just the wealth of the believer, who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ, but it's the walk of the believer, what we do with who we are and what we have in Christ. I've watched thousands of people make decisions to follow Jesus Christ, and it's exciting to see it. I was just up in the mountains this last Friday spoke to a group of about 500 kids, gave an altar call, about 50 of them uh, made decisions for Christ. It's exciting. But that's the first step in many other steps that they will take, should take, must take, to form a walk in the Lord. And that's what we're looking at in these verses, uh, beginning in verse 17 all the way down. In a sense, it's like a marriage You know, getting married is easy. If you're planning a wedding, you'll say, Skip, you've forgotten. You have no clue. It takes so much energy, so much planning, so much money, so many details. Well, that's true, but getting married is easy in comparison to a lifelong marriage. Somebody once said it this way, getting married is easy, staying married is more difficult. And it continues, staying happily married for a lifetime would be considered among the fine arts. Well, I would say getting saved is easy. Walking with Christ is a different story. And walking happily, obediently with him for a lifetime would be considered among the fine arts. A husband went to a counselor. He said he was falling out of love with his wife. What should he do? The counselor said, you need to go back and take the steps that you took in your early marriage walk with your wife. Find out the things that make her happy and do those things. So he did, and he called the counselor back a week later to give him his report. He said, you know, my habit has been I leave for work in the morning, I work all day, I come home sweaty, grimy, tired, I walk in the back door of the house, I go over to the refrigerator, grab a drink, and I sit in the rec room watching TV till dinner, she tells me dinner's ready, I eat dinner, then I go to bed, start the day all over again the next day. So he said, after your advice, I uh, decided to shower at work, put on a clean shirt, Uh, On the way home, I stopped and got a bouquet of flowers, and I, instead of going to the back door, I went to the front door, rang the doorbell. 
and gave her the flowers. And then he said, and uh, that's where it all broke down. Counselor said, what do you mean? He said, my wife saw me at the front door and broke down in tears. In tears, said the counselor, what happened? He said, my wife said, you know, today's been the worst day of all days. First, Billy broke his leg. Then I come home from the hospital and your mother calls and says she's going to stay here for three weeks. So I get everything ready. I try to wash the clothes and get the clothes and the uh, linens ready. And the washing machine broke and there's water all over the house. And now you have to come home drunk. (laughs) Now, what happened to that relationship? Deterioration happened to that relationship. It wasn't a blow up. It was a slow leak over time. And so she mistook even his best intentions for something that wasn't happening at all. It can happen in the Christian life. Getting saved is easy on our part. We put our faith in Christ. We come to him as we are. We turn to him in that simple childlike faith and repentance but walking with him for a lifetime. That is what is concerning Paul uh, in this chapter. Now, I'm going to give it to you in brief, and we are going to have enough time to do this and take the Lord's Supper, but let me tell you what he's doing here. He's comparing the old you and the new you. This is what you used to be like. This is who you are now. And so there ought to be some changes. The old portrait of you is one thing. The new you shouldn't resemble the old you. You ever seen those makeover shows? Those radical do-overs? This is your spiritual makeover. Now, have you ever seen a picture of yourself that when you, you look at it, it's not very flattering? Listen to this one, verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk. That's the key word. As the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardening of their hearts, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to licentiousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. That's the old you. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, And the truth that is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. In looking at the old you. The Apostle Paul says there's a few things that describe the old you. Number one, you were aimless. Verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility or better translation, emptiness, shallowness, hollowness, the futility of their mind. There was a TV special not too long ago that described a phenomenon that is occurring, uh, it's gone beyond piercing uh, into tongue splitting, 
where people are getting surgical procedures done and their tongues are split surgically, forked like a reptile, and even certain uh, parts of their bodies, fingers and toes, are amputated. Uh, the people doing this were asked why, and they said, well, we want something that marks us, that distinguishes us, that gives us meaning and purpose, because a normal life in whatever pursuit that they were engaged in didn't quite fulfill them, didn't quite mark them apart as unique enough. So they figure an amputation would do the trick. Now Solomon had a term for this in all of his musings and searchings. His word was vanity, same word, emptiness, when he tried different avenues in life. And at the end of those pursuits, he raised up the banner, vanity, vanity, all is vanity, or emptiness, emptiness, it's all a vapor. Soap bubbles, there's nothing inside of it, pop, it's over. So that describes the old you, vanity. Nicholas Cage was interviewed some time back, and he was talking about the American dream and his generation and all that he had achieved as an actor in Hollywood. He said, in sort of a moment of sighing, I wonder if there's a hole in the soul of my generation. We've inherited, he said, the American dream, but now where do we take it? Same idea, vanity, aimlessness, emptiness. How many people do you know that are genuinely happy, fulfilled? They love their job. They love what they do. They love who they are. They love their spouse. They're happy in their life. Second thing is in verse 18, and it's not just aimlessness, but it's sightlessness. Having their understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardening of their heart. Now, the Phillips translation puts it a little bit differently. He says, living blindfolded, living blindfolded in a world of illusion. That's how he translates this verse. Sightlessness, the inability to see. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says the natural man, that is the man by nature, apart from a supernatural birth, just who we are before we're born again. The natural man does not understand the things of the spirit. Their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually apprehended. Have you ever witnessed to a person, you tell them about like the song Jean-Luc sang, the love of God. And they go, well, and, you know, you've told them everything. You think of every scripture, every description, and you're thinking, don't you get it? Can't you see it? Here's the answer. No, they can't see it. It's like trying to tell a blind person, can't you see that beautiful sunset? Or a deaf person, don't you hear that great music? No, they don't. They lack the faculties to appreciate it. They're insensate. They're blind to it. They're deaf to it. Aimless, sightless. And there's a third description. Look at the 19th verse. Shameless. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to licentiousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. 
There's a phrase that bears a little bit of meditation on, and it's in that 19th verse, past feeling. Bishop Moule, in his translation of the New Testament, renders past feeling this way. Having gone beyond the point of pain. Now think about it. The first time you set out to do something wrong, that voice inside says, ah, don't do that, it's wrong. Some value system that you've been taught, maybe your own conscience, rises up and said, you shouldn't do that. It's unhealthy, it's wrong. It's a sin. Now, if you go ahead and do it, you silence that voice just a little bit. It might be painful, but if you work past the point of pain in conviction, it gets easier and easier and easier as time wears on to where some people can practice things without shame at all. They're shameless. They're calloused. They're hardened. They're past feeling. They don't hear that voice. They don't feel the conviction any longer. Now, that's dangerous. Because there is a description in the book of Romans called a reprobate mind. Being unable to feel that conviction of the spirit anymore. Being past feeling. They have given themselves over to licentiousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. The best commentators that I've read on this verse say that it's a description of immorality, but more than just immorality, coveting the lowest form of immorality. That whatever practice this is, it doesn't satisfy, and the person goes deeper and deeper and deeper into this kind of behavior. Shamelessness, being past feeling, licentiousness. One of the cardinal sins that marked the unbelieving world, the Gentile world, at least in the mind of the Jew, was licentiousness, immorality. It's, it's on God's top ten list, isn't it? It's a, as old as the hills. It's as old as mankind. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That immorality that God knew was a propensity for the human race makes his top ten list of don't do it. Back in the Old Testament, the children of Israel fell victim to some of this. Not really victim, but they fell prey to it. They fell into the temptation of lustfulness with the Baals and the Ashtoreths, those pagan gods and goddesses going up to those groves of trees, and there were altars where they would offer incense and then practice um, sexual immorality as a means of worship to the god Baal and the goddess Ashtoreth. The Greeks looked at sex as no big deal, just simply a biological function without any moral consequence or any moral ramification whatsoever. And so if you look at the Roman and Greek cities, like Ephesus, like Corinth with its temple to Aphrodite or Venus, where a thousand priestesses came out at night to seduce men into committing licentious sexual acts, took the revenue that was generated through this prostitution and gave it to support the temple of Aphrodite in Corinth. That's the backdrop that Paul is speaking about. Past feeling, given themselves over to licentiousness, to work uncleanness with greediness. By the way, 
There was a, a word the Greeks coined for this kind of behavior. It's uh, not a biblical word, but it's a Greek word found in their manuscripts. Eros is the word. Eros. Uh, we get the derivative erotic from the Greek word eros. It means what we would call physical love or physical lust. You know, we, we, we've ruined the term. A couple will say, let's make love. Like it's something you manufacture, you just make it. The term eros, it's not a biblical term, as I mentioned. It is a pagan Greek term. It literally means to grasp. And the idea of the word is that I grab something to satisfy myself. It's all about me. I'm trying to satisfy myself. And that's what he's speaking about in this verse here. By the way, that's the Greek world. In the Jewish world, what was the penalty for that kind of behavior in the Old Testament? Yeah, it was stoning. So, uh, you know, imagine if that law was in practice today. There'd be piles everywhere, don't you think? All over the freeways, all over the side roads. In a recent survey of those couples that were divorced, one out of nine said it was directly related to infidelity, this form of licentiousness. And it's gotten so bad that there's even services now on the Internet that you can contact, and they'll keep your name anonymous. It's called the Alibi Agency, and they'll provide alibis for those who desire to be unfaithful to their spouses. They'll send false invitations to dinners or conferences on the other side of the country. They'll then call the spouse, giving a confirmation number to this false conference. They'll even act as the hotel so that if a jealous spouse calls to check up, that the answering machine will be at such and such a hotel, and they'll even sound like they're paging your room, and they have a whole system of keeping it a secret so that you can cheat easier on your spouse. Okay, that's the picture of perhaps for some, the old you. The new you begins in verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. Christ, the personification of all purity. You've not so learned Christ. And verse 21, if indeed you have heard him, and have been taught by him is the truth that is in Jesus. Now, here's the new you that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. Verse 25, therefore, putting away lying, each one speaking truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Three things that mark the new you putting off, putting on, and putting away. You put off the old man. That doesn't mean your father. That, that, this isn't a scripture for you to write off responsibilities to your debt. The Bible says put off the old man. I'm not going to call him anymore. That's for those of you who don't know anything of what I'm talking about. Back in the 60s and 70s, that was the term for your father, the old man. Is that still popular today? I guess not. Put off concerning your, now notice, former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. The old man is simply the old you before you met Jesus. 
It's who you are naturally as a son or daughter of Adam. It's the natural man before you became a supernatural man or woman by being born again. All of those patterns, all of those practices, all of those thought behaviors that led to action, that's the old man that connotes a sinful lifestyle, the former conduct. It's one thing to leave the crowd, the old crowd. It's another thing to leave the way of the crowd, the things that the crowd does. Well, I don't hang around with those people anymore. Yeah, but do you hang around with the behaviors that that crowd is involved in. You know, you can take the Christian out of the world, but the world isn't always out of the Christian. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, that great Victorian preacher, said, you and your sins must separate or you and your God can never come together. You put it off. It's old. It's past. It's history. Second is you put on the new man. Verse 24 which was created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. It's a new start. It's a new beginning. It's a new lifestyle. The old is gone. The book of Romans, Paul talked about our old man. He said it was crucified, crucified in Christ. History taken out of the way, rendered inoperative. But we put on something new, a new behavior pattern. And verse 23 is part of it. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's where the battle is won or lost, isn't it? In the mind. That's why we're told in the Bible to gird up the loins of our mind or get our minds ready for action. Because the enemy will attack us with thoughts and try to catch our thought life, our visual life, our auditory life off guard. So we gird it up. We stay protected. We stay on guard and put on the new man, which is created according to God in righteousness and in true holiness. Verse 25, therefore, putting away. Now, verse 25 to the rest of the chapter takes what we are positionally and makes it what we are practically. Okay, you've put off the old. That happened at the cross. That happened really for you the day you received Christ. But now it's time to take all that we are positionally and do it practically, applicationally. And there's four ways to do that. Verse 25, putting away lying. So put away lying or put off lying, put on truth is the idea. Let each one speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Did you know that God has a list in the Bible of the things that he hates? It's in Proverbs chapter 6. Seven things the Lord hates. A couple of them, twice it is mentioned, a lying tongue and a false witness who speaks lies. So truth is pretty high up on the list that if you're a child of the king, you have to speak the language of the court. The language of the court is truth. So what does it mean to put off and to put on? It means that if in the past you're used to telling little white lies or exaggerating, stretching the truth, 
you put that off. You don't do that anymore. You catch yourself. You allow the Holy Spirit to remind you of that, and you put on integrity, truth. You say what you really are, what you really mean. With his neighbor, for we are members one of another. You heard about the three boys that were standing around the dog on a street corner in Boston, and they were talking to each other. The dog was in the middle, and a minister came up to them and said, What are you boys up to? They said, We're telling lies. Whoever tells the biggest lie wins the dog. And the minister gave a scowl, and he said, I can't believe that. Why, when I was your age, I never thought of telling a lie. And they looked sadly at each other and said, He wins the dog. Because they knew it was hypocrisy. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. I'll put it this way. Put off aggravation, put on indignation. Notice that commandment, be angry. You say, okay, I can do that. It says, be angry and do not sin. Put off aggravation, or you might say agitation, and put on indignation. In 1 Corinthians 13, love is described in a variety of ways. It's like taking a diamond and spinning it and watching the sun catch uh, 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 the, the facets of the diamond, catch the rays of the light. And one of the facets, it says, love is not easily provoked or easily angered. The idea is you're patient with people. Be angry and sin not. There is a time for righteous indignation. There is a time when Christian people ought to get mad. And it shouldn't be at people. It should be at sinful practices done by people. Jesus did. He overturned tables in the temple. He took a cord, a whip, and he drove people out who were making merchandise. Uh, Martin Luther used to call this The anger of love, the anger of love, there is a time to be righteously indignant. But it's not being angry because you've been offended, but because the holiness and righteousness of God has been offended. So be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down in your wrath. In other words, keep short accounts with people. Uh, Say you're sorry before you turn out the lights. Have a good talk before the day's done and the sun rises again on you. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Look at the next verse. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Oop, I skipped verse 28. Let him who stole steal no longer. But rather, let him labor working with his hands what is good, that he might have something to give him who has need. Put off stealing. Put on sharing. Let him that steal, he says, or stole, steal no longer. According to the Department of Commerce, stealing is huge. Four million shoplifters per year, according to their statistics. In the hotel industry... Hotels say that $500 million are lost per year in hotel theft. You know, people walk into the room and go, I like that towel. I want that bathrobe. And and they think the price of the room includes 
like the furniture in the room. They say one out of every three guests steals something from a hotel. You say, well, Skip, you're preaching to the choir. I don't steal things out of hotels. Well, what does it mean, let him who stole steal no longer? There's ways you can steal from your employer. You can say, well, you know, they've got a lot of pencils in these desks. I need a pencil or two at home. Oh, and there's a pen and a few paper clips. And there's a desk. I don't have one. You can steal time. You can come in late. You can leave early. You can take too long of a lunch when it's not uh, approved or a break. Uh, It's been estimated, again, studies have been done, where people admitted that 20% of their workday is spent goofing off. That's one entire day a week if you put it all together. So you can steal time, energy. Let him who stole steal no longer. I remember when I was looking for a job in Westminster, California at a hospital. It was Westminster Community Hospital at the time on Beach Boulevard. No longer exists. But I remember walking in there. I was a young Christian, and there was a lot of people applying for this job in the radiology department. And I went to the supervisor, and I said, if you hire me, I'll be the best worker you ever had. And so he looked at me after all of these people had just interviewed him. He goes, you're hired. I left and I thought, I got the job, but then I realized what I just said. I realized that my life is going to be scrutinized more than anybody else in that department because I made a commitment that you can rely on me and I'll be the best worker you have. And I told them that it's because I'm a Christian. So I thought, oh, I know that he's going to be putting me under the microscope every day. But isn't that the way to live? Hey, if you hire me, I'm a child of God. I'll be the best worker you have. So, put off stealing, put on sharing. And that's the idea of the rest of the verse. Share. That you might have something to share with those who are in need. And now, finally, verse 29. Put off corrupt speech. Put on kind speech. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good. For necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Corrupt communication. You know, it's hard to speak about that these days because, well, our culture has changed quite a bit. Back in 1946, I believe, the classic film, It's a Wonderful Life, with Jimmy Stewart. Do you remember that movie? (laughs) It's a Wonderful Life. Bedford Falls. It was a great film. That film was censored. Words that were deemed inappropriate for the general audience were taken out of that movie. The words such as lousy, jerk, impotent, garlic eaters. Words that thought, you can't put those on the air. Those are filthy words. Now, I'm not going to mention the words that are now on television, but just think what's on primetime, stuff that you've heard, stuff that's crept in, corrupt communication. But you have not so learned Christ. 
the old you, the new you. The new you, you put off, you put on, and you put away these things that show that you've put off and you put on the old man and live in the new man. Because here is the motivation. All of those things that are previously mentioned would grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. There's nothing like realizing your life is lived continually in the presence of God to keep you clean. Nobody's listening. You want to bet? Nobody's around. The Holy Spirit is. One of the greatest things you can have is a sensitive conscience. Somebody to say, I'm sorry I said that word. And they look at you, you're sorry you said that word? Like everybody says that word. I know, but I shouldn't do it. I'm a child of God. Forgive me. Imagine having that kind of sensitivity. And then finishing it off, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Put off corrupt speech. Put on kind speech. The sins of the tongue are some of the worst things we deal with. A snail is a small creature, very powerful. Its power comes from its tongue. One naturalist says, Up to 30,000 teeth he counted on one single tongue of one single snail. That little tongue that's so far back can unfurl, curl out, and forms a little saw to cut through leaves and stems. It's a destructive tongue. One of the things I've observed over the years in Christian communities is how the tongue can destroy people. Oh, have you heard? No, tell me. Inviting gossip. Or, well, you know, I just need to share this with somebody. It's such a burden on my heart. I can't carry it alone. I need somebody else to carry it with me. Hey, bear it alone, buddy. If it's gossip, take it before the Lord. Oh, I got to share my prayer request with you. It's for so-and-so. Oh, okay. And then you're sharing your prayer request with the world. It's not a prayer request. I'm going to share this with you. I'm more deadly than the screaming shell of the cannon. I win without killing. I tear down homes. I break hearts. I wreck lives. I travel on the wings of the wind. No innocence is strong enough to intimidate me. No purity pure enough to daunt me. I have no regard for truth, no respect for justice, no mercy for the defenseless. My victims are as numerous as the sands of the sea and often as innocent. I never forget. I seldom forgive. My name is gossip. The psalmist said, set a guard Over my lips, O Lord. It's a good prayer. Set a guard over my lips. Lord, send your Holy Spirit to bring conviction. If any of these old sins that describe the old me start coming into play to dominate my life. Help me to put on the new man. To put away these tendencies, these things that creep up and could rule over me.
Remember the old axiom, a closed mouth gathers no feet. (laughs) Ever put your foot in your mouth? Oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that too late. Oh, I wish I could take it back. You can't. It's out. It detonated. So let's pray together before we take these elements. And I'm going to ask the communion board to come as we pray. Heavenly Father, we gather in this place and we've, we've considered a portion of your word that speaks about how we live, how we walk, the things that describe a lifestyle more than just a confession or a profession of faith. These deal with actions, evidences, fruit. Lord, we remember the words of John the Baptist who said, bring forth fruit that speaks of repentance, that shows and demonstrates a repentant life. Lord, we know the old axiom that if we sow a thought, we reap an action. If we sow an action, we reap a habit. If we sow a habit, we reap a character. And if we sow a character, we can reap a destiny. But Lord, those of us here in this room who know Christ, we know better. We haven't learned Jesus to be any of these things at all, but pure and holy and undefiled and separate from sin. Lord, we know that we can't live perfect lives. You never told us to live perfect lives, but you did tell us to be obedient, especially when you remind us of things, lest we quench the Holy Spirit. And I pray that none of us would ever be able to go past the point of pain of conviction. That when something is done that's wrong, that the Spirit of God would be so quick to speak to our hearts, and our hearts would be so sensitive to hear, to respond. That we might love your people and win those who aren't your people into your kingdom. We remember that the Lord Jesus told us, that the world would know that we are your disciples because of the love we have for each other. May that mark us in our attitudes, actions, and words, Lord. Help us to put on the new man, to put off these things. And now, Lord, as we take these elements together, These elements speak of the fact that we have given our lives to Jesus Christ and that his blood has washed us from our sins. Thank you for the salvation that comes from the cross, Lord. We're not worthy. You've made us worthy. You've made us your kids, and we're grateful for it. Tonight we take these elements, Lord, in thankfulness, looking back to the cross but looking ahead to your coming. Finally, as we're praying right now, our heads are bowed. If you're with us tonight and you're not yet a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've come to church, but you haven't come to him. You believe generally in a God, but you haven't placed your faith completely in Jesus Christ to wash you of your sins. Or maybe you remember doing that some time ago, but you've fallen away from him and you're willing and ready to Come back to him, to give him your life. It's important that before you take these elements, you do that kind of business with him by giving him your life and making that 
personal relationship with him intact again and okay again. So if that's something you desire to do, to either give your life to Christ for the very first time in truth and honesty, or you've been backslidden and you want to come to him, I want you to raise your hand right now where, where you're sitting. Just raise it up. And I'll pray for you and give you further instruction before we go on. Just raise your hand up. God bless you on the side. Anyone else? Raise it up so I can see it. Anyone else? In the back. God bless you. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for these. And it is our prayer that you do a great work of transforming, making the lives brand new, letting them know you love them, and that as far as the east is from the west, you will remove their sins as they make Jesus their Lord and Savior. And wherever you are who raised your hands, just right now say to the Lord, I give you my life. I know I'm a sinner. I turn from my past. I turn to you. Receive me, Lord. Wash me from my sins. Give me new life and fill me with your Holy Spirit that I might live a life pleasing to you. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're going to pass out these elements and I'm going to ask you to hold on to the wafer and the cup until we all have uh, distributed them together and then we'll take them together. Shed your blood for me. You shed your.